0: No clicker for me. All right, you guys good? Yeah, so good to be back. We just came back from uh, our little vacation with uh, our family. Uh, A friend of ours actually joined us and uh, his family from Texas, and we traveled uh, North, North. We traveled New Mexico. Um, We didn't get very far. We thought we'd be able to go North, South, East and West. And we kind of just went around here and then South. And um, we found out, we have, uh, obviously my twins came from Philadelphia, they just left, but they were here from Philadelphia. And so we had our six kids, they had their four children and uh, it was very, very amazing. (laughs) It's one of those vacations that you like, you're not rested, You're, you're more like at the end, you're exhausted and you made wonderful memories. So anyway, that was that. But it was great, we had a good time, and seeing beautiful New Mexico. We also uh, saw our church plant, uh, Dwell New Life City. We visited there, uh, Pastor Daniel Colson, and his wife Sarah, and Pastor uh, Daniel, and uh, yeah, Pastor Michael and Jayla, is that say right? Yeah, cool, still learning. But they're, they're, they send their greetings, and uh, we just it's so great to be connected to them and see what God's doing in Las Cruces. So um, it was wonderful. Um, also, I just wanted to uh, mention uh, we found out last night that uh, Chris Naidu's father passed away in Fiji. So please keep the Naidu family uh, in, in your prayers. And uh, he was a wonderful man. And he actually, Chris was saying, had visited here with his mom in 2015, and they did some ministry here. Um, but Chris's father was the first to uh, come out of Hinduism in their family and bring their whole family to the Lord. And so uh, he's a wonderful man, and I know eternity is celebrating him, and we're, we're glad for that, but also we're praying for the family as they're grieving that loss, and so uh, it's just a tough time. And then uh, Daniel's um, uh, daughter-in-law, I just found out uh, he, his daughter-in-law passed away last week of cancer, and so please keep the Van Cort family in your prayers as well, all right? Um, I... I wanted to continue our series on coming to Jesus uh, this week. I know Pastor Allen, Pastor Gail did some wonderful, uh, a wonderful job in the past two weeks uh, on the message of coming to Jesus. Um, Before I left for vacation, I had um, talked about how we come to Jesus. We have these coming to Jesus moments because, one, we see the kindness, the goodness of God. We see the love of God, and we're so drawn to him. We see how ourselves, in comparison, who need him, we're broken. We, We have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we run to Jesus. We come to Jesus willingly. And then I also talked about, one week, about how Jesus is constantly pursuing us, that actually Jesus comes to us, and we really have to, in my own opinion, I feel like we have to run away to stay away from him, but God is after us, and if you let God take you over, he will take you over, just like he met that woman in the well. He was after her, someone so broken, He wanted to come to her same way. Jesus hasn't stopped. He's always been about the same thing. He will come and pursue you. And that's why my mom, when she was praying for me, knew she had the hound of heaven after me. She knew that even though she could talk me till till she was blue in the face, I wouldn't listen to her. But she knew that God would send someone, that God was still after me, so she wouldn't give up praying. How many know that your prayers are actually powerful? Your prayers make things happen. Your prayers bring change because God listens to our prayers. He is kind. He is good and he is faithful. And so it is important that we pray and that and oftentimes I find when people don't pray, it's because they actually there's this obstacle in their heart where they really they, they want to believe, but they just it's too hard for them to believe that God would actually listen to them. And so they they pray not that not that they don't want to talk to God, but it's like there's this obstacle. There's disconnection between them and God. They they believe in him. They 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 know he's real. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. But when it comes into daily communion, when it comes into petitioning before the Lord, there seems to be this lack of communication. It's like it's like a wire that's not connecting correctly, like our projector. It's on, it's off. We, don't, we can't figure it out yet. We're still working on it. We have technicians coming. But, but this, is, this is oftentimes it's like, why, why isn't that connection? It reminds me of this, uh, the, the, the man who brought his son to Jesus. And Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. And what's the man say? So honest. I love, I love this response. Why? Because I believe, I've said it before, that when we're honest with God, it opens up the possibility for an encounter. And God's not looking for our mask. He's not looking for us to actually be ready and prepared before we come to him. He wants us to come to him just as we are. And the only reason why uh, we don't come to him is because we're the reason we're getting in the way. But this man, he responds, he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He recognizes the battle that's within him where he believes, and yet there's this unbelief that's also underlying in there. And what does Jesus say? You know what Jesus says. He's like, go away and come back when you fully believe. Doesn't he say that? Doesn't he punish him because he doesn't have enough faith? No, that's what we tell ourselves. When when we finally have enough faith to believe, we'll come back to God. When we finally have enough faith and we can stir that up, we'll finally press in for what we could. We just don't have the strength right now. And so we tell us this lie, but Jesus, he doesn't do that. He actually says to this man, go, your son is healed. He heals the son. Why? Because he healed his son. Do you think that man's faith went from more unbelief or belief when he healed his son? It went into more belief. God showed him that he shows up and his faith probably went to the fullest extent. That unbelief faded into the background because he saw God come through with his son. And I just want to tell you today, we're coming to Jesus, not just to come to Jesus, but because we can encounter him. We come to Jesus because he's faithful. We come to Jesus because he answers our prayers. And so we talked about us coming to Jesus. We talked about Jesus pursuing us, Jesus coming to us. And this week, I want to talk about even a different scenario where oftentimes we don't want to come to Jesus. We're not trying to come to Jesus. Actually, we find ourselves instead in such a predicament in life, in our own brokenness, or maybe the brokenness of society who rejects us, we end up being thrown at Jesus' feet. He's our only option. He's like, it's like when my father says, when you hit rock bottom. And I actually surprised my father, because he used to think I I finally hit rock bottom, and I showed him there was a few more levels I had to go. (laughs) He's like, I thought you hit. I was like, nope, there's more down there. But sometimes we find ourselves in this place where we're handcuffed and thrown at his feet. And I asked the Lord, I said, God, what do you, you know, I, I was preparing the messages and kind of planning and just through the direction of what God was telling me this theme was going to be. And, and as I was doing that, I finally stopped. I was like, oh yeah, God, what do you want me to say this week? like, do you want to talk too? I find the best messages are when no one has to give up, come up and share. Like when God shows up, you don't need a sermon. I I would love that Sunday. Worship explodes. Actually, even worship stops. They're just in awe. We're just like in the river, enjoying what God's doing and transformation's happening throughout the room and there's no one laying hands on anybody because God's just doing it in your chair, on the floor. And, and I've seen those, those moments and they're so special. Uh, I, I don't need to be here for God to be here. Um, but anyway, so I, 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 I find that, so I said, God, what do you want to share on this, this, this Sunday? And, and he said, John 1, 14. And so I, I looked it up because I don't know them, I don't always memorize all the addresses in the Bible. I'm like, oh, what's that one? Oh yeah, I know that one, <laughs> like when I hear it. Um, but I'm just not wired that way, even though I read it. I, anyway, John 1.14 is is this, it says, and the word was made flesh, that's Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us, Jesus Christ incarnate dwelling among us. And this is in parentheses what that they were a witness of, and we beheld his glory, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. But the point of the sentence is this, full of grace and truth. And the word was made flesh, Jesus Christ, dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And I want to share this morning about us encountering Jesus who's always full of grace and truth. I want to go to our next text before I get into, I'm going to kind of do things a little different than I did last night. If you want a different version of the story, you can watch last night. We're going to go to John 8, 2. All right, John. John 8, 2. It says, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. But what do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Now what are they trying to accuse him of? They're putting him in some sort of quagmire because... You see, if Jesus affirms this woman's stoning, he's actually breaking two things. He's breaking the uh, name that he's known as the friend of sinners. He's also breaking Roman law because Roman law had to have executions sanctioned. We know this because Jesus himself, for his own execution, even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and the religious group of the day found Jesus guilty, they had to take him to Pontius Pilate, right? So that Pontius Pilate could find him guilty so that he would be crucified. So they couldn't just do this on their own. If they were to do an execution on their own, they would be subject to Roman persecution. So if, if Jesus said, yes, they should, well, then they would turn him over to Rome saying this man has has actually uh, um, uh, sanctioned an an execution outside of Rome. But if Jesus says, no, do not execute her, do not stone her, well, then he's actually disobeying, publicly disobeying the law of Moses. So either choice that Jesus chooses is going to put him in a bad position. And this is actually the tactic of the enemy. First of all, this whole scenario is just messed up. I mean, obviously they knew what was going on for them to catch this this person. And uh, the last I checked, adultery takes two people. Where's he at? And, uh, and, and this is often how society, religious and governmental society, will try to manipulate. This is how Satan manipulates us. He wants to put us always into two different categories. He wants you to pick two different sides. He wants you to try to choose between side one and side two because if, you can, if he can divide you, if he can divide your family, if he can divide your church, if he can divide your, 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 your people group, then, then he'll win. And so how does he do that? Is he makes people choose sides. And he does this to Jesus. They're trying to make him choose a side. A side which seems like there is no, there's, there is no winning at. And what does Jesus do? You see, the advocate, uh, the, 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 uh, the posture, the attitude of an advocate is not standing pompous and proud holding stones in your hand. Remember in our first sermon series of coming to Jesus, we talked about stones and bread. Isn't it funny how they're bringing stones to this woman? Thank God they brought brought her to, to the bread of life. Instead of having the posture of an adversary, he ends up having the posture of an advocate. See, sometimes we need to go above the frequency and the noise of what everyone is chatting about because they always want to put us in two different pockets, two different categories. See, people, it's just natural that we respond to people in the same way they respond to us. We respond to people sometimes in the same dysfunction that they, they came to us at. It's just, it's just a fleshly desire. It's like, you feel that you've been offended. They called you a name. They did something that hurt you, that, that thought you thought it just wasn't right. And so now you're like, okay, I'll show you. And so you hurl the offense back at them. You take up that rock that they threw at you. You're like, hey, you left something. <laughs> oh, this? Did you just throw this? It's natural. I mean, I mean we do this. I mean, I look... I, I drive cars. Come on, don't think you're so innocent. I've been cut off before. I ride a motorcycle. I, I've, I've driven up. I can't believe I'm so offended. I, they, they cut me off driving up. to. I want to see them. What do they look like? Can't believe they did that to me. Like I have some, and then the Lord's like, you think you're a perfect driver? Like you've never cut someone off on accident? You know? Sometimes to have the right response, we don't operate in people, and we don't respond to people in their dysfunction. As a people of God, we need to respond to people as how God sees them. They might come out of brokenness and saying some horrible things to you, but that doesn't give you the right to actually say those horrible things back. You actually need to see what's the issue. And sometimes you need to change your level to see God's response. And what is Jesus doing? Let's continue. He said that instead of responding between either side, the continuation of verse six, he said, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he started writing on the ground. But they persisted in asking him. Now, this writing in the ground is a um, really interesting uh, storyline here because the, the author of John is not telling you what he wrote on the ground. And so if you've ever heard a message based on, on this, um, this encounter, you'll often hear the preachers come, come up with different ideas. And it's okay to do that. And they probably love that. You can do that. You know, like, and so, you know, you might play around with it and see like, hey, I I mean, we don't know what he wrote. So he could have been like writing everyone's name and the sin next to it. You know, like John, you know, like or whatever, Ira. I don't know. It sounds like a Jewish name. Ira. (laughs) Lust, you know, um, you know, uh, 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 Ishmael coveting the, you know, uh, uh, neighbor's uh, wife or whatever it is. And, 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 And then everyone is seeing that and they're like, whoa. Now, one commentator theologian I thought was really um, Ishmael wouldn't be a Jewish name, never mind, sorry. <laughs> There'd be a different different group there. But anyway, one of the commentators I love, he he said that, you know, if it was important what Jesus was writing, they would have included it. And one of the things that he, one of his perspectives was this, which I really enjoyed, is that in chapter seven, they were actually questioning Jesus' education. They were questioning how this man could be so, uh, speaking so well if he was uneducated. And most of them probably didn't even think that Jesus could read or write because of where he was from and his occupation. And so all of a sudden, you have this man who they thought was uneducated now writing in the ground. Now, the, the, the word they use for writing with his finger is the same in the, in the Greek Septuagint, which is like the Greek Old Testament, is what they had back then. The Jewish people spoke, uh, read Greek, and so they also had the Jewish Septu- Septuagint, which was only written in Greek. They used the same Greek words for writing in the ground with the finger when they referenced the finger of God writing on the Ten Commandments in Exodus 31, 18. It's a pretty cool comparison. And so, so... There's a lot of different levels and uh, layers to what's going on in this time. But Jesus, instead of answering between option one and option two, he lowers his posture. He changes the attitude of everyone else. He goes, I'm not going to to actually fit into the categories that you're going to try to put me in. First, I'm just going to ignore you, which I love that because that probably was like ticked them off, you know. But they persisted. What do you say, Jesus? Jesus, aren't you going to respond? Jesus, we're waiting for an answer, Jesus. What are we going to do, Jesus? And so Jesus straightened up. It says this. He straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go, they go out by one, one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why? Because the older you get, the more you realize. The more you realize all the mistakes you made. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the, of the court. Verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He or she who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So good. You see, Jesus understood something that oftentimes we get confused. Uh, listen, there are facts, and facts are always correct. That's why they are facts. But they're actually not the same thing as truth. Facts and truth are different. Facts will always have a, a they're, they're stating what is, what is correct, but they'll never have a redeeming factor to them. Truth will always have a redeeming factor to it. Truth will actually set you free in the middle of your fact. Jesus saw this woman who was in a factually correct situation. What she did was wrong. And that man, by the way. And they were giving him options that were factually possible. None of them had redeeming qualities to them. What does Jesus do? He changes his posture to get a heavenly perspective to find out what the truth is. What will actually set her free? And instead of lolling another fact at them lolling, lolling, lobbying, I don't know. Lobbying. I don't know. I need writers. I need like writers, like comedy writers. You know, like I need writers. He gives them a statement that sets her free and actually probably them too of being able to condemn. See, Satan knows all the facts about you. He will state them to you over and over and over and over again. Don't you know you're not good enough? Don't you know your financial situation? That's factually true. Look at your bank account, Paul. That's a fact. <laughs> He'll state all the facts to you. You're uneducated. You don't have enough education. You're too old. You're too young. You're too shy. You're, you're socially awkward. You know, he will do whatever he can to state a lot of facts that you already know and, and you believe is truth. But the reality is they're not true. Why? Because they never set you free. And instead of listening to the fact talker, we need to turn our ears to the truth talker. Who will know exactly your position, even when it's your fault and wanna set you free in it, and will get in the dirt. He will change his posture, will get down in the dirt and speak truth in your life to get you free. And you're like, it's my fault, I made these bad decisions. I bought that car I shouldn't have bought, and now I'm stuck. It's like, you don't think Jesus cares about your financial position? Then you're crazy, and he will help you get you free. Now, I'm not saying don't steward the money that God's given you, but when you're repentant and saying, God, I messed up, help me, he will come and help you. He'll put people in your life that that can help you, and he'll also have miracles happen that will help you. And he'll also speak truth in your life, like this isn't the end for you. There's more for you. There's an abundance in heaven. When you say, God, I'm not enough, you'll say, good, because that means you'll need me. You know, when we end, that's when God starts. If we can do everything ourselves, we wouldn't need God, but we can't. And when we recognize that we can't, it opens up the door and allows him to step into it and say, oh, you think your job gave you security? Watch me give you security. That's who he is. That's the God we serve. And when we're thrown at his feet or when society rejects us or whenever we find ourselves handcuffed like this woman is, we need to be able to see God's opinion about the situation. I have a friend of mine, I, I post this on my social media, and um, he, he's a minister who really does travel the world, um, but no one knows him. I mean, he's I mean, people know him, but it's not like he's famous. he's famous in heaven. He impresses me so much I, sh- I had to share his story. His name's Brian Blount, and uh, he he's a pastor in Oklahoma, and he went outside his house one day and uh, the car was gone. the minivan, their blue minivan was was gone so he uh he asked his wife, Janine, he says, Janine, did you uh, lend our minivan to somebody? Did you like take it and park it somewhere else? What's going on? She said no. And they find out that their minivan was stolen. And so, you know, I know my flesh. i had been like, I can't believe someone did this. You know, when, when you have, um, when someone robs you or breaks in or steals something, it feels you might not if you've never had it that happen. It might not feel personal, but there's it feels like personal. I've had a wallet stolen before, and when I think about it, I get angry. I can't believe someone stole my wallet, you know. And I'm like, man, I wish I could find that person. And you know, I just my 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 flesh starts to get a hold of me, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I what, pray for him. I mean, what am I going to do, right? But but Brian and his wife Janine are just these kingdom people, and they're like oh, this this person's marked. We're going to pray for this person. They knew it was a God setup. Instead of getting offended, they made it an offense for the gospel, an advancement for the gospel. So they started praying. They said, hey, they reported to police that it was stolen, but they started praying for this this person who stole their car. And then uh, they find uh, on Channel 9 News a car chase, and it's their minivan being chased by the police and they're watching it on TV and they're starting to pray because they want these, they found out it was two boys, but they, they want these, these, these guys. Okay. And so they're praying for them because they believe these people are marked for God. And so they're praying for them and, and they watch the whole thing out where they, they, they pull the kids out of the car and they get on their uh, uh, face and the cops have their guns drawn and, and they arrest these boys and, and, uh, and, and they take them off to jail. And, and so they get their car back and they talk to the police officers. Is there any way we could connect with these these boys and, and, and reach out to them. And, and they're like, no, they're juveniles. They're 16 years old. Uh, the, their brothers, the 16 year old, uh, was the one who stole it. And, uh, they said, so because of that, we can't give their name or information. And so, uh, I was following Brian's updates on his Facebook page about it. And, uh, and so he said, um, he said, so we just started praying that God would move in their life. And, um, and then the court made a mistake. They sent in the mail, the person who stole, the name of the person who stole their van, and their court date. Like they, were, they treated them as they're an adult, even though they were juvenile. And so, my uh, friend Brian and his wife, they decide to go to the courthouse that day. This just happened like five days ago. They show up to the courthouse and they wait two and a half hours waiting for names, because they don't know what he looks like, waiting for names to be called. When they got their van, it was covered in weed stickers, like these kids had fun, and they were um, smoking pot the whole day. They were just joyriding smoking pot. And so, after a bunch of the people left the courthouse, they started hearing someone mention, you know, calling someone's name while they were talking to them, and it was the name on the paper. So they go over to there and they said, Are you so and so? And they said, Yeah. He goes, Hi, my name's Brian. This is my wife, Janine. You're the one who stole our minivan. But well, we're not here to harass you today. We're pastors, and we want you to know that, that we've been praying for you. And we believe God's marked you. And Brian said, let me share my testimony with you. You see, when I was 16 years old, I stole a minivan. I was pursued by the cops, and they pulled me out, guns drawn, and arrested me. He said, I, um, a pastor had taken me under his wing and mentored me. I he said, I didn't have a father. Do you have a father? Do you have any man in your life? The boy said, no. The mom, the mom and the grandma were there, and they said no with tears in their eyes, wiping tears. He said, well, I, this man in my life, he mentored me, and he shared the love of Christ with me. He's changed my life. He goes, I, if you will let me, I want to mentor you. He said, I've shown up here. I've shown up here with my wife so that we could ask the judge for leniency against you. And so they went to the judge when they called him up and and the judge allowed them to approach the, the, I guess, bar separate. And he said, he told him the story and he told him what he wanted to do with this young man. And the judge said, well, Brian, we believe in restorative justice here. We will get, we will work this out and try to make this happen. This is the grace and the truth of Christ. You see, justice was deserved. Factually true. That boy deserved some sort of justice, some sort of sentence, fine, maybe put him on the wrong path, go to juvenile, uh, uh, what do they call that, juvenile hall or whatever, and, and you get associated with other people and build wrong friendships, and then you get out and you continue a wrong lifestyle. He deserved to go down that path. What he did was wrong, right? That's justice. But when you encounter truth and grace, it trumps it. It overcomes it. It's a higher truth. I love the saying, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting more than you deserve. Justice for that man would have been some sort of sentence. Mercy for the man is annulling the sentence and grace for the man is Jesus sending a father figure to mentor him. This is our God. This is how we need to respond to every circumstance that society life throws at us. Don't play the narrative the way the world wants you to play it. Change your posture. Change your position to find out what heaven's saying about any situation. Know that that person might be responding to you out of their own dysfunction and say, Jesus, how do you see them? See, I know that Jesus never treated me how I was. He was always treating me where I was going to be or how he created me to be. Well, I was talking to someone after, our last, after the service Saturday night and I, I saw, oh, it was so true. And she said, you know, I was thinking about this. When, 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 we, when we discipline our children, sometimes we discipline them out of fact. Like, you were supposed to be home at this time. You, you spilled the milk. You did this. You do that. When the reality is, you could also discipline them out of truth. Like, hey, this isn't who you are. One corrects a behavior. The other one corrects their identity. Jesus wasn't letting this woman go of committing adultery. He was telling her who she was. Go and sin no more. He showed her what mercy and grace and truth look like. And that's who God's given you. In James 1, 19, 20, it says, So then, brethren, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Everyone say slow. slow. You're saying it wrong. It needs to be slow. slow. And slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My wife and I, you know, you, it's, I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to be offended. I know what it's like to be betrayed. And in every one of those circumstances, I've always wanted to come in my, my flesh just rises up, just bubbles up, boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, Sometimes I can't even think straight. Not like I'm an angry man, I'm really not. But, but if you get, if, if you offend me, if you, if you betray my family, if you hurt my family, if, if you know, there's, there's a natural flesh that wants to lash out. I, I recently, and, I, and this isn't a reflection, this is just good for my sermon illustration, but it's not a reflection on the people of Albuquerque, it's just a reflection that there's broken people everywhere. Ruth and I, when we moved into our new home, the previous homeowners, um, wonderful people who love Jesus, who were missionaries, who were retiring, sold us their home. So it was awesome. They don't even go to our church, but they couldn't fit all their stuff in their truck. And they just had a bunch of like random items that they had left there. And so we, there's a lot of things that we didn't need. So we um, went on this like certain um, app that allows you to um sell stuff so that and they come and pick it up and it's people locally. And so um so we we learned right away that offering something for free, no one wants to get it because they think something's wrong with it. So you are like we didn't, we weren't trying to make any money. We were just like for 5 bucks, do you want this like Grill, you know, for $5, do you want this like bonfire thing? And, uh, a door, a dresser. Uh, and so uh, this, this woman and her, her partner came and, and they picked up like three items for like 35 bucks, it was something like that. Um, and maybe it was even four items. And they were all in okay condition. We had pictures of them. And then, like, a week or two later, the, the woman was texting my wife saying, hey, the dresser you sold us was broken, and she said, we charged her all this money, and we're like, no, we didn't charge you all that money, and we, it wasn't broken. Maybe it broke like in transport, but we, it wasn't broken when we, when we gave it to you. And, um, and she started lashing out, almost demonically. You know, it was like, she said, um, you're a liar, and you shouldn't have any more kids anymore because you're gonna teach them how to lie, and oh, by the way, go back to your own country. She said that to Ruth. I was like, wow. And Ruth was like shaken by it. You know, she deleted the app. She's like, I'm not talking to these people anymore. And, 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 I, and she told it to me. She sent me the text. I was like, and then I got angry. I'm like, who are these people? Who would say such a thing like that, right? But, I, but after that passed, Instead of responding right away, instead of picking up a stone and trying to throw it back, I was like, God, these people, this person probably is really broken to think that saying something like that's okay. And so instead of us throwing a stone back, let's pray. Let's pray that they get restored. Let's pray that God blesses them. Let's pray that, and when you turn a curse into a blessing, not only does it bless them, it blesses you. You're like, wow, that burden I was carrying, that they, they threw a rock at me, and then all of a sudden I'm carrying this rock and it's weighing me down. But when you turn into a blessing, it's like carrying nothing. Because now you've turned it on its head. This is why the kingdom of heaven is upside down. You turn curses into blessings. You don't pick every side that everyone else wants you to pick, or different sides. You pick what God says. You, you actually go above or below, in terms of changing posture, the noise, so you can actually hear what God says. And often what God says, God's solution, is so different and radical, it's never something being offered. Like, hey, who, who without sin casts the first stone? He didn't pick either side, but it was truth that set everyone in in that place free. Why did they choose stoning? I always think that it's such a crazy way to execute somebody. Um, Back then they did, uh, it it, it was, uh, you know, warranted according to some things, but they did it because it creates anonymity of who actually killed the person. And so it's a group event. Everyone does it, everyone's guilty and everyone's innocent all at the same time. And so they, so they chose this way of, of bringing this woman to it. And, and oftentimes when we get into arguments or when we get into, we try to do it in a group way and get as many people on our side so that we seem the most right. And no one can actually point a finger at one person because it's the whole crowd. And that's just not kingdom. It's not how God wants things done. And so I love how Jesus, instead of, instead of succumbing to the stones being offered, offered this woman bread, which is the words he speak, because his words are spirit and they are life. I love how even there's some parallels here between the cross and this woman's situation. Jesus was uh, thrown in, uh, surrounded by Roman soldiers who would blindfolded him and punch him, saying, who is it that hits you? Prophesy! Tell us who hits you, Jesus, if you're king of the Jews, if you're the Christ, right? Do you remember this? This would have been a similar way of, of stoning. Who, who would have known who would have hit this person? When Jesus uh, redeems her with his words, he, it says he straightens up. Other translation says he was risen up, which is like when he was risen from the dead. You know, there's these certain parallels of Jesus is now taking every accusation, every condemnation, so she doesn't have to be condemned anymore. The burden she lived with is no longer a burden she needs to carry. This is the gospel, and this is what we have. Remember, I will never preach anything that isn't Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It's always, it's never not going to be about Jesus. Even though we're, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Father, but we need to encounter Jesus. He brings us life. It's important that we actually connect with him and commune with him and give our lives to him, not just once in your life, not just t- six times a year, not just twice a year when you go on that men's retreat, that woman's retreat, that conference, but actually connect with him and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation, but thank you for today. I'm going to give this whole situation to you. Help me have a heavenly mindset about it. Help me to be slow to speak and quick to hear. God, help me to love the person in front of me. God, w- May your love flow through me so that I can love them the way you love them. I can see them the way you see them and that I won't become an accuser and partner with the devil whose name is accuser. But I actually partner with the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside the comforter, the helper. This is what we're called to today. And I want you to know, you might say, well, I've never been handcuffed and thrown to Jesus. I mean, that's not me. But think about your life. Think about all those situations where if Jesus didn't come through, you don't know what you would do. I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we would recognize those moments where Jesus was our only option. And the interesting thing about it is, he never wasn't our only option. It's just that at that point, we recognized it. Why don't you stand? His presence is so good. And it's not, it's not enough to just experience it once a week on a Sunday or a Saturday night coming to church, but it's important that we commune with him every day so that Jesus can speak truth over the facts of our life. And if there's any, um, if there's any facts that the devil is tormenting you about right now, I want you to know Jesus wants to set you free. He has a say in the matter. He gets down in the dirt with you, even when it's your fault. If you're like, I deserve this. I'm not even talking about sin. It can be bad choices. It wasn't like you were morally wrong, but you messed up. I picked that job over this job. I... should have went left instead of went right, whatever it might be. Jesus doesn't say, well, now you gotta suffer. He says, I'll get in there with you. I'll walk this out with you. And you know what? I'm gonna make it work for your good because you love me and I love you. So just close your eyes. I just wanna pray over you. God, I just thank you that your presence is here. Holy Spirit. you're so good I don't need to be here it's not about me God I just want you to be glorified I want you to complete your mission to redeem men and women to bring your children home to start calling out their identity and telling them who they are instead of what they've been doing that they would see the truth that you're with them, that you're for them, that you love them, that you celebrate them, that you want them whole, that you want them full of joy. And so I come against every lie spoken by the enemy that seems factually true, but just really doesn't redeem anything. I just break those lies in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, that we even when we're thrown at your feet because you are our last option, that you still take us in. You clean us up. And when everyone else leaves us, you still stay with us.